Friends, would you open with me in your Bibles to Jeremiah chapter 20? Jeremiah chapter 20. We're actually going to read the entire chapter this morning. Jeremiah chapter 20, beginning in verse 1. Hear now God's word. Now Peshur the priest, the son of Immer, who was the chief officer in the house of the Lord, heard Jeremiah prophesying these things. And Peshur beat Jeremiah the prophet and put him in the stocks that were in the upper Benjamin gate of the house of the Lord. The next day when Peshur released Jeremiah from the stocks, Jeremiah said to him, The Lord does not call your name Peshur, but terror on every side. For thus says the Lord, Behold, I will make you a terror to yourself and to all your friends. They shall fall by the sword of their enemies while you look on, and I will give all Judah into the hand of the king of Babylon. He shall carry them captive to Babylon and shall strike them down with the sword. Moreover, I will give all the wealth of the city and all of its gains, all of its prized belongings, and all the treasures of the kings of Judah into the hands of their enemies, who shall plunder them and seize them and carry them to Babylon. And you, Peshur, and all who dwell in your house shall go to captivity. To Babylon you shall go, and there you shall die, and there you shall be buried, you and all your friends to whom you have prophesied falsely. O Lord, you have deceived me, and I was deceived. You are stronger than I, and you have prevailed. I have become a laughingstock all the day. Everyone mocks me. For whenever I speak, I cry out, I shout violence and destruction. For the the word of the Lord has become for me a reproach and derision all day long. If I say I will not mention his name or speak any more in his name, there is in my heart, as it were, a burning fire shut up in my bones, and I am weary and cannot hold it in. I cannot. For I hear many whispering, terrors on every side. Denounce him, let us denounce him, say all my close friends, watching for my fall. Perhaps he will be deceived, then we can overcome him and take our revenge on him. But the Lord is with me as a dread warrior, therefore my persecutors will stumble. They shall not overcome me, they shall be greatly ashamed, for they will not succeed. Their eternal dishonor will never be forgotten. O Lord of hosts, who tests the righteous, who sees the heart and the mind, let me see your vengeance upon them, for to you have I committed my cause. Sing to the Lord, praise the Lord, for he has delivered the life of the needy from the hands of the evildoers. Cursed be the day on which I was born, the day when my mother bore me, let it not be blessed. Cursed be the man who brought the news to my father. A son is born to you, making him very glad. Let that man be like the cities that the Lord overthrew without pity. Let him hear a cry in the morning and an alarm at noon because he did not kill me in the womb. So my mother would have been my grave and her womb forever great. Why did I come out from the womb to see toil and sorrow and spend my days in shame. Let's pray together. Father, how can we even speak about a prayer like this? How how can we even pray for strength and courage 
to enter into the world of Jeremiah and see the kind of wrestling that you invite us to. We're afraid. We don't want to open these parts of our hearts. But I pray that you would give us courage, give us strength, give us faith, even in the darkest of the dark. We plead with you in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, friends, I think it's important to understand the events that led up to this scene. And then, and only then, can we delve into the heart-wrenching prayer that is born out of it. What happened? What went down? What preceded the chapter I just read? Well, to understand what's going on in 20, we've got to reorient ourselves around chapter 19. Chapter 19, which we did not read, God comes to Jeremiah and he says, I want you to make a prophetic performance. This is what I want you to do, Jeremiah. I want you to go and I want you to buy a piece of pottery. And then I want you to invite some of the priests and some of the chief elders. And I want you to take them with the pottery to one of the gates that is outside the city of Jerusalem. It's the potsherd gate. It's the gate where potters would go to discard their own broken pottery. If we've been reading the book of Jeremiah up until now, we start to get this uneasy feeling on Jeremiah's behalf, right? We... We kind of want to come alongside of him as a friend and say, Jeremiah, I'm not exactly sure what you're going to do, but I think this is a bad idea. You priests, elders, a pot in your hands, I think we should put the pot down and walk away. Don't do what you're about to do. Now, if we had come to Jeremiah and said that, we would actually sound a little bit like the Apostle Peter who upon hearing that Jesus had set his face on Jerusalem to where he would go to suffer and die, Peter said to him, Jesus, I think this is a really bad idea. Put it down and walk away from this. We have that urge to say that to a friend because we mean well. It's hard to believe that God might call us to something that is going to hurt us like crazy. We want to spare ourselves and our friends from that. No one's there to say that to Jeremiah. You've got Jeremiah, you've got the pot, you've got the priests and the elders, you've got the gate. And what Jeremiah says next from the Lord to these men gathered there in chapter 19 is so intense, so raw, so shocking, I cannot possibly read it this morning in mixed company. Here's the PG-13 version. Jeremiah says that Judah's rebellion is so egregious, chapter 19, verse 8, I will make this city a horror, a thing to be hissed at. Everyone who passes by Jerusalem will be horrified. He announces that to this group. He takes the piece of pottery and he throws it on the ground and shatters it and says, this says the Lord. I'm going to break this people and this city so bad you are going to run out of room to bury the bodies. He says that to the group. 
He leaves them at the city gate. He walks back into Jerusalem, into the temple courts, and he shouts once again to the temple goers, this is going to fall on you too. Whatever I've prophesied, this is coming to the people of Jerusalem and even the people who come and worship today in the temple. Enough is enough. If you're the institution in Jerusalem, the priests, they're hearing this again and again, day after day, and they can only put up with so much. They've got a temple to run. They've got a religious institution to maintain. There are tithes to collect and payroll to meet, and you cannot possibly have a loose-tongued prophet running around threatening to turn the entire thing up on its head. The show must go on. We've got to maintain the temple. And so the chief of police comes to Jeremiah. He arrests him. He beats him up and he puts him in the stocks. Now the stocks are what we imagine them to be. It's uh, probably a structure in which you're locked with your head and your hands hanging out of them. And it's meant to humiliate you as a prisoner. And the thing is at the Benjamin gate of the temple, which means it's actually not very far from where Jeremiah has just entered the temple courts and given that heated sermon. It's meant to absolutely humiliate him. What do you think it felt like to be Jeremiah? To be alone, to be beaten, to be trapped in the stocks, and and as you're hanging there after a night of being arrested, you begin to watch the same elders and priests that you had left at the city gate coming back into town and standing in front of you and crossing their arms and begin to snicker at you and all you've just said that you said came from the Lord. It's important that you and I feel the utter embarrassment and shame that Jeremiah feels. It's important that you and I realize that there are worse wounds than being beaten. That to be the object of scorn is a far worse price to pay. It's important for us to grasp the fact that God asked Jeremiah to do something that now has totally blown up in Jeremiah's face. Shakespeare famously wrote, Some men are born great, Some achieve greatness, others have greatness thrust upon them. There's a kind of twisted inverse of that quote that you could say. Some are born in suffering, some deserve their suffering, and some have suffering that is thrust upon them. Jeremiah, he didn't ask for this. He didn't want this. He didn't go looking for this. He didn't choose this vocation or this occupation. It was thrust upon him, and now the weight of it is almost crushing him. If we can begin to get our minds around that, we're ready for a prayer that borders on blasphemy. That's where we need to get ourselves. Now, Let's take a deep breath. Let's take a 
a, a step back from there. Those are the events that lead us to this prayer. We're going to examine this prayer in detail. Uh, my wife, Julie, is actually terrified of heights. She hates heights. She doesn't want to be anywhere near heights. She's mortified by them. She doesn't even like to sit in like the bleachers to watch a soccer game. No heights at all. Last year, we were at Myrtle Beach, and we were walking around the boardwalk, and we were looking at the rides, and we came across the human slingshot. You guys know what that is? Have you ever seen that? It's ridiculous. It's this little two-person seat that's attached to a bungee cord that really looks like a slingshot that's pointed up in the air, and you release the riders, and they fly way up, and then they kind of bounce back and forth. And I could even tell that as we were walking towards it, Julie was like visibly agitated, just to be near it. I mean, just to be around it and see people doing it. And so I stopped and I turned to her, and I was never more serious in my life. And I said, if you get on this ride with me right now, I will pay you $100 in cash. That's it. Right out of my, I'll go to the ATM right after this. I will pay you cash if you will ride this ride. She said, you know, absolutely not. She refused flatly. We went on our way. She never got the $100. If you are a visual learner and you want to see Jeremiah's prayer, like you want to see it on paper, I actually think the human slingshot is a good place to go. You're going to draw an arc on your page, and we're going to start with this prayer in verses 7 through 10 at the very bottom. You're locked and you're loaded in this slingshot, and that's where it begins, those first verses. And then it springs, and Jeremiah's prayer, it shoots heavenwards. Verses 11 through 13, you just reach this glorious height of praising the name of God, and it is so sweet and so real and so beautiful that you want to stay there with Jeremiah, but then the forces of gravity begin to overtake him, and he falls in this prayer all the way back to the bottom in verses 14 through 18. You watch this arc happen in this prayer, bottom to top to bottom. I love what John said a few weeks ago from chapter 15, when he said, Jeremiah knows that God is not just one to be talked about. He is one to be contended with. If chapter 19 was the prophet talking about God to other people, chapter 20 is contending with God. If you want meek and mild prayers, go to the Lifeway Christian bookstore and buy yourself a wall hanging. But if you want to watch a sufferer grab a tiger by the tail, read the book of Jeremiah. That's what we're about to do today. Verses 7 through 10. This starts at the very bottom. God, you lied to me. You deceived me, and I was deceived. If I don't do what you want me to do, I'm screwed. And if I do what you want me to do, I'm screwed. From Anathoth to Jerusalem, I have become an absolute laughingstock. Everywhere I go, people mock me, and they speak harsh things behind my back. God, you win, I lose. Are you happy now? Do you have what you want from me? That's Jeremiah's prayer. If you're like keeping a file folder 
of all the harshest things that Jeremiah has said to God, I want you to take this passage and I want you to stick it somewhere between chapter 17, verse 17. God, stop terrifying me. And put it somewhere between that and chapter 15, verse 18. God, you're like a river that dries up exactly when I need you. I go to drink and you're not there. Are we allowed to pray that to God? Can you say these things? Can you quote this book back to God in prayer? I absolutely love reading dusty, dry commentaries on heart-wrenching prayers like this. Because when you do, you find dry gems like the one I found this week. Listen to this. What prayers say about God in their screams in the night, they may not want integrated into a creedal statement. <laughs> what someone screams to God, they may not want integrated into their creedal statement about God. In other words, some of these prayers, they're off the record. When I'm sobbing myself to sleep before the Lord... I'm not amending the Apostles' Creed. I'm speaking things that are on my heart to God. I'm not saying that God is a liar. I know that the Bible tells me that he's truth and there is no deceit within him. What I am saying is it feels like I'm being lied to. It feels like I'm being tricked. It feels like I'm being duped. I'm not saying that God cannot satisfy and provide for me, that he really is a dry riverbed. The Bible tells me he's the fount of living water. I can drink from him and never be thirsty again. But what I am saying in my suffering is that I feel like his provision has run dry. And it's run dry when I needed it the most. Do you know that God invites brutally honest prayer. We know that because these words, this prayer of Jeremiah that everybody would like to forget has existed, has been recorded and studied and meditated and memorized and prayed back to God for thousands of years. God invites brutally honest prayers back to himself. We can pray these things to God. Well, no sooner does Jeremiah pray this and he says these things to God, than the human slingshot releases and Jeremiah flies into the sky and he says in verses 11 through 13, the Lord is to me as a dread warrior. He's going to protect me. He's going to defend me. No matter how bad things get, I know that he is a God who is going to fight for me. Verse 13, that's like the tippy top of this thing. Sing to the Lord, praise the Lord, for he has delivered the life of the needy from the hands of the evildoers. Isn't that fantastic? Isn't that a beautiful thing to be able to pray immediately after you have deceived me and I was deceived? Friends, I wish we could end the sermon here. 
you've got suffering, and then you've got this crisis of faith, this dark night of the soul between Jeremiah and God, and then you have resolution to everything. You've got desperation to exaltation in under three minutes. It's perfect. This is a testimony that will sell. This testimony will sell. I know the market. This is going to sell. This has an Oprah interview all over it. Jeremiah has found peace, and you can find peace too. I mean, Americans, we eat this stuff up. But Jeremiah is not going to come with us. He's not going to come with the book deal. He's not going to come with the tour, at least right, not right now. Because no sooner does he pray, sing to the Lord, praise the Lord... Then in verses 14 through 18, he drops and he says, Cursed be the day I was born. Things are so bad in my life. I wish my mom would have had an abortion. In Jesus' name, amen. That's it. That's the end of the prayer. That's the end of the chapter. That's the end of the scene. We're left with this grisly ending. Jeremiah's prayer, it doesn't have a happy ending. It joins with the ranks of prayers like Psalm 88, which end in bitter grief and loneliness. What do we do with that? As a believer, what what do you do with a prayer that doesn't have a happy ending? Because it kind of leaves us in this eschatological crisis. I mean, we as believers, we as Christians, we who have gathered here this morning, who are part of the body of Christ, we believe in happy endings. We don't believe in happy endings because they're a chicken soup for the soul. We don't believe in happy endings because they're going to be a boost of energy for us for the work week ahead. We believe in a happy ending because we believe in a story that is older than eternity. It's a story that has pulsed through creation and through the fall and through the patriarchs and through the exodus and the united kingdom and the divided kingdom and the chaos of Jeremiah and the horror of Babylon because it's a story that answers Babylon with Bethlehem. It's a story that answers chaos with Calvary. Jesus, he absorbs the horror on the cross. And as Jacob said this morning, where I once was at war with God, I am now at peace with God. What seems like the end of this story is really a new beginning because Jesus, he rises from the dead, he defeats sin and death, he ascends to his throne, and he rules over the world. And as dark and horrific and awful as each of our individual stories may turn out to be, they can only ever be part two of a three-part series. And part three is going to open with the sky splitting into Jesus descending, the kingdom of the world becoming the kingdom of God. And the final word of this story is Christ and his grace to whom be all glory and majesty forever and ever in Jesus name. Amen and amen. So yeah, 
We kind of believe in happy endings. We're banking our lives on happy endings. We live by this stuff. We die by this stuff. But there is a time and a place and a season where the darkness is so dark, we can't see the story for what it is. It's out there. It's ahead of us. It's coming like a thief in the night. But from where I sit, I cannot possibly see the story for what it is. And we sit with Jeremiah in this tension and pray, why did I come out from the womb? To see toil and sorrow and spend my days in shame. Let's pray together. Father, forgive us for the ways we rush to tie suffering in a bow that will satisfy our sensibilities. We're afraid that you might look bad in this situation and we desperately want you to look good and we resolve things in our minds that are not resolved in our world. Give us courage to sit with the prophet Jeremiah in suffering. Give us courage to allow the tension that you present to us today. There are times and places where the darkness is so dark, we cannot see the end of the story. We praise you that you're a God who invites that kind of vulnerability, that kind of tension, that kind of hope. We give ourselves to you in Jesus' name. Amen.